Hi there. My name is Dave Ellis and I'm one of the Hebrew regional ministers. It's my joy to bring the word of God to you today. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6 and looking at the area of spiritual warfare and the armour of God. Let's read Ephesians 6 from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. There is a cosmic battle in which our enemies are not primarily other human beings, but spiritual beings of indescribable evil intent. Much of what Paul says, or at least in terms of the imagery of a soldier, fully arrayed in his battle armour, is taken from Isaiah. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 59. All which describe the armour of God and his Messiah. And these references from Isaiah depict the Lord of hosts as a warrior dressed for battle as he goes forth to vindicate his people. The full armour of God which the reader is urged to put on as they engage the deadly warfare is Yahweh's own armour which he and his Messiah have worn and which is now provided for his people as they engage in battle. What's the nature of our armour then? Well, though we live in this world we don't just fight against humans we fight against spiritual beings the nature of this armour is that we are putting it on to protect us against the values and standards of the world and God is clothing us with what can protect us and what can help us. Our weapons have a divine power not a human worldly or fleshly power it's got the power of God which can be taken in any one of four ways. It's made powerful by God. It's divinely or supernaturally powerful from God.
is powerful in terms of God's perspective or is powerful for God. In any case, whatever we think, this armour works. It's divinely effective. It has done a job. It's worked for God and he's telling us that it will work for us. Why do we need these weapons? Because we're coming up against adversaries like of which we've never really come against before. But in taking on these adversaries, God has given us a way to overcome. Now, it doesn't rely on our human ingenuity, wisdom or showmanship. It doesn't rely on our charm or persuasiveness or our personality. It relies upon God himself. And what is the purpose of these weapons? Well, they can destroy the fortresses and the strongholds that Satan builds up against us. Strongholds and fortresses that would seek to undermine our thinking about God, our trust in God, things that would seek to sow doubt into our mind about God and what he can do and what he's doing in our lives. It would seem to sow doubt into ourselves as to whether we're worthy or whether God could ever love us or whether God could ever use us or if we could ever be part of his plans. A stronghold is a mindset that is impregnated with hopelessness and that causes us to forget that God is unchangeable and causes us to forget that God will never do anything contrary to his will. And strongholds are negative patterns as well that cripple us in our ability to obey God. And when we don't obey God, we start feeling guilt and despair. It burns into our minds through repetition or through outbursts or abusiveness or one-time traumatic experience. So our weapons, our armour come to tear down those mindsets and strongholds that hold us back. So what are these weapons um, that God gives us? He gives us six pieces of armour. First of all, there's the belt of truth. The belt or girdle is simply not just the belt to hold up your trousers. It was a leather apron it helped protect the lower part of your body. It had two additional functions. It had a sheath to hold the sword and also it had a tunic. It was a means by which a tunic could be tucked into the belt so if somebody was fighting or running, they wouldn't be hindered. In the Old Testament itself, God is described as one who's girded up himself with all his might. The psalmist talks about girding themselves for battle and we're girding ourselves with the truth. Now we need to know that God is the truth, Jesus is the truth. There's something about Jesus' character that we need to clothe ourselves in, we need to fill ourselves with his power, we need to commit to pursuing his purity. The, the Bible is the truth, uh, successful Spiritual warfare begins with the question, do I accept the Bible as the word of God, inspired, infallible, inherent, sole authority? Do I believe it? Do I practice it? 
A Muslim man once asked me if I believed or practiced the word. And then there's a church, a pillar of truth as well, provides protection, reinforcement, encouragement. It teaches us biblical values. It gives us stability and guidance. And then, of course, there's Christian doctrine based on scripture. Satan will always flourish in the midst of theological ignorance. So we need to know what we believe. And I believe there's two things the demonic lies are most prevalent about. And it lies about the character of God, who he is and what he can do. And it lies about ourselves and who we are, what our identity is and what our position is in Christ. But we need to gird ourselves with the truth. The truth which will also show itself out in our behaviour, the way we speak, our lack of hypocrisy, lack of lying, lack of deception, but loyalty. The second is the breastplate. Normally extended from the neck down to the lower part of the thigh. It covered all what would be called the abdomen or the trunk. It protected our righteousness. <coughs> the objective of righteousness equals a justification of our righteous standing with God through faith in Christ. It gives us our legal holiness. But also there is a subjective righteousness that we have. That means the breastplate of experiential holiness, i.e. we live holy lives and it is seen. The third garment is the shoes, the half boot, the military sandal. Hobnail boots that Roman soldiers used to wear provided them stability and grip. And uh, we are told that we are to fit our feet in preparation or readiness for the gospel of peace. We are to be prepared and ready to proclaim the glory and the gospel of peace. The gospel of power, which comes from God, which sets people free. Now, Satan wants to keep people captive, but God wants to set people free. And the New International Version says that we are to be ready with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We are to be ready to share that good news because we have that peace. And so this must be one of those rare times when you go into a battle, but the aim is not to commit carnage, but the aim is to bring God's peace. Peace with God, the peace of God, and bring God's peace to others. So therefore, in the midst of spiritual warfare, we are called to proclaim spiritually the peace of God that can set somebody under Satan's grip free and give them peace. The fourth item is the shield of faith, an oblong device, four foot by two foot wide. It was made of two layers of wood glued together and covered first with linen and then with animal skin. Then it was bound on top with iron. 
Its purpose was to defend against the incendiary missiles of the enemy, i.e. the flaming arrows, the attacks that come and are launched at us. What are these flaming arrows? Well, the evil one launches attacks in a number of ways against the people of God. And I believe Paul's focus is more on the sudden unexpected eruption in our heads, the vile images that come into our minds, the shock and surprise of when we do something really stupid, the undeniably contrary way most of us live our lives, the way we disgust ourselves or the way we violate our God-given sense of morality or the way we think blasphemous thoughts or the way we have images in our minds that should not be there. We can even have suicidal urges and things can go violently wrong in our families or we can have uncontrollable impulses to rebel against God or against our family or against the church. All of these things are seen as flaming arrows that are thrown at the Christian in order to bring them down, to make them doubt their goodness, to make them feel guilty. And it's amazing how many times people report these things happening to them when they are trying to pray or trying to read their Bible. And this aggravates our sense of guilt and worthlessness. And so we need to know that uh, we have a shield to protect us from that kind of thing. We need to know that we have a shield to protect us and let us understand that we should be loving and worshipping. We should be more like what God wants us to be. Now, faith in of itself doesn't protect us against Satan. Rather, it protects us against the objects that Satan throws at us with the fact that we know what God is like. We know how powerful God is in our lives. We need to be able to extinguish those fiery darts of the evil one. And the way we do it is through faith. And now faith is something that we do. It's a function. It's a shield of protection in several ways. It was Moses' faith in the glory of the coming Lord and the reward of his obedience that enabled him to, to, to stay firm. It was when Satan whispers, God may have cared for you in the past, may have cared for you long ago, but his interest in you is now gone. You need to lift up that shield and say, that's impossible. God doesn't change. He cannot change. His concern for me is eternal. What he has promised me, he will fulfill. And when Satan whispers, God doesn't love you anymore, not after you failed him so many times. You need to lift up your shield of faith and say, that's impossible. God's love for me cannot cease to exist. For he demonstrated this when he gave his son Jesus to suffer in my place on the cross. And the shield of faith also has functions whenever we say to the enemy, I'm going to believe what God tells me. I'm going to believe it. What he tells me, I'm going to act on it. I'm going to see there's great gain in godliness. I will not fall prey to your temptations. The shield of faith, every time we hold it up, 
we hold up the truth of Scripture under the onslaught of Satan's lies. That shield protects us. Number five, the helmet of salvation. The principal battleground in the spiritual warfare is often fought in the mind. Hence, we have a helmet of protection, a spiritual hard at, as it were. The helmet of the Roman soldier was made of iron and bronze with a sponge underneath it, some sort of lining. The helmet of salvation is most likely a reference to the assurance of our salvation. That which adorns and protects the Christian, which enables us to uphold his head, is the confidence and the joy that we have in the fact that we are saved. Satan knows that he can gain a major strategic advantage over us if he can sow seeds of doubts into our minds concerning our relationship with God. In every instance of serious, sustained, demonic attack that I have encountered, I or the individual was plagued with doubts concerning our salvation. Such is Satan's envy and enmity against the Christian joy and comfort that he cannot but act to his utmost strength to keep poor souls in doubt and in darkness. Satan knows that assurance, Christian assurance, is a pearl of such great price that the soul, it makes the soul happy forever. He knows that Christian assurance makes the Christian's wilderness turn out to be a paradise. Satan knows that Christian assurance begets in a Christian the most noble, the most generous of spirit. He knows that Christian assurance is that which makes men and women strong to do the exploits, to shake Satan's kingdom to the ground. Therefore, he's working very hard to keep souls from assurance. He knew just as he cast down Adam out of paradise, he can bring us down. But to put on the helmet of salvation, therefore, means to live in the knowledge and the assurance of the truth expressed in Romans 8, verses 31 to 38. There is nothing saint can do to alter or undermine the fact that we are saved. Romans 8. Not angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 38, 39. But what Satan tries to do is erode our assurance and our confidence that we are saved. Look, our salvation, our standing with God, doesn't fluctuate or diminish with our success or failure. In the spiritual battle, it stands, in, it stands on the bedrock of God and his salvation for us through Jesus Christ. So the solution is fill your mind with God's word, memorize it, affirm your Christian identity, talk about your faith all the time, share your testimony. Challenge every negative, destructive thought 
the instant it enters your head and evaluates in the light of God's word. And now the final, the final weapon, the sword of the spirit. The sword, its Greek word is a word that we translate to machete, a straight sword used in close combat. And uh, Satan not only launches fiery missiles from afar, he also moves close for hand-to-hand -hand combat. The point of the armour is that the soldier is prepared for fighting in battle, whatever form the battle takes, whether it be from afar or whether it be close up. The sword is an offensive weapon. The spirit himself is not the sword. The word is the sword. The sword is of the spirit. In that sense, it is the Holy Spirit who gives power both to the written and the spoken word, the word of God. The word here is not a reference to Jesus Christ, but it's a reference to the Logos and the Rima. The Logos being the always objective written word of God, whereas the Rima is the now, the subjective, the spoken word of God into today's situation. Both words are interchangeable in the New Testament, so I won't get hung up on it. But there are three primary ways, primary ways in which we can wield the sword of the Spirit. First, we proclaim the word as Jesus did. That's the first way we wield it. We pray the word. That's the second way we wield it. And the third way we wield it is we praise the word and sing the scripture. Finally, we move on to 18 and 19, prayer. Prayer is the power beyond the armour. Restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer keeps the Christian armour bright. And Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. That's what William Cowpetter, the uh, hymnologist, wrote many years ago. I need to tell you, on very rare occasions... Very rarely will God intervene unless we ask him to intervene. Unless we ask him, we won't see the victory. So we need to talk to God. We need to ask for clarity, courage, um, power uh, to speak. We need to ask him. That's why verses 18 to 20 are important. The prayer is not regarded as one of the spiritual weapons. It, it's regarded as um, it's regarded as the way we ask for God to provide the power behind the weapons. It's a way of praying and keeping us connected to God. It keeps us alert in praying. It enables us to stand in praying. It allows God's character to permeate the whole of our being as a Christian soldier. In, in praying, we're able to put on the belt of truth. We're able to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, in praying, we're able to observe the things God needs us to do. And so there are four prayers. We are to pray with all prayer, with all prayer and petition. So there are different kinds of prayer we can pray. Silent prayer, audible prayer, public prayer, private prayer, both short and long prayers, prayers with fasting, 
prayers with feasting, prayers with praise, petition, intercession, rebuke, doctrinal, praying emotionally, resisting the enemy prayers, prayers of thanksgiving, confession, prayers for healing, prayers for help, prayers for courage, so many prayers, so many prayers that specifically point to an area of warfare. And then we can pray for ourselves that we would have insights given to us and understanding. We can pray for those who are in Christ. We can pray for what we need through faith. We can offer prayers of resistance and rebuke to the enemy. We can say, Satan, I rebuke you in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. We can pray prayers of protection to shield and guard and to support us. Lord, I commend and entrust myself to your watchful care or my brother or sister to your watchful care. We can pray for places where we're going to stay or where we're going to live or where we're going to travel. We can claim the place for the Lord and for the Lord's purpose and eradicate any evil there. We can pray for those who are possessed and who are ministering to. We can pray that the demons will be cut off from all communication uh, from Satan. We can pray and we can pray anytime and we can pray all times in the spirit. In the spirit, in tongues, in any way God prompts us to pray. We can pray in his strength and power that he supplies through the Holy Spirit. We can pray that he reminds us of the truth of the word. We can always ask his Holy Spirit to cleanse our minds, cleanse us from sin, fill us with purity. We can always pray to be alert. We can pray for perseverance and petition. We can pray for all the saints everywhere and for everyone people out of sight but never out of mind and we can observe Paul's need for this as well Paul closes his prayer by a request for prayer for himself or like me he prays for him a nervous preacher that God would give him the liberty of the spirit to express the gospel freely and clearly and boldly you could pray that for me. You can pray that for yourselves as well. Spiritual warfare. The armour of God. I've only scratched the surface in this sermon just now. I could have preached the whole series on any one of those headings. But take what God gives you today and use it to encourage you in your faith and your walk and encourage you as you go into spiritual warfare this week. May God bless you and keep you. Amen.